So if you've watched Big Little Lies, you know that this show deals extensively with rape and sexual assault, and these are things that are triggering to you. This is probably not a podcast that you want to listen to. Welcome to the Big Little Podcast, where we celebrate the insanity of Monterey's favorite murderers. I'm Teresa, and I'm probably a total Jane, but I'd like to believe I'm a Bonnie. I'm here with my friends Carolyn and Rebecca. Rebecca, what are you? I think I am a Jane with some Madeline tendencies. Okay. Carolyn? You know, I think like I have a little bit of Madeline in me because I can be I can be a little, a little bit aggressive, a little <laughs> extra. But I'm also a Renata sometimes, <laughs> which could be a bad thing. But there's a good chance you'll hurt us by the end of this podcast. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe okay. we we will see. All right. So if you're listening to this podcast, you should know that there's a huge spoiler warning. We will not even not even per episode. There's a good chance we're gonna like hop to the last episode in the first episode so if you have not watched the whole show please go away and come back um but with that being said we're gonna jump into the recap with Rebecca all right so episode one is titled somebody's dead which is quite an ominous beginning for a pilot uh it picks up its orientation day at Otter Bay School in Monterey and nobody is safe Madeline Martha McKenzie can't let anything go she has it out to yell at some kids she believes are texting and driving Surprise, one of the teens in the car is Abigail, her a-hole daughter. And they're all listening to Super Rich Kids by Frank Ocean because no musical cue is too on the nose for this show. (laughs) (laughs) Madeline twists her ankle on the way back to her car. She's wearing ridiculous heels. And Jane, no middle name Chapman, is a decent person, so she jumps out to make sure that Madeline is okay. Apparently, Madeline Martha McKenzie isn't okay because now they all have to carpool to school. We meet Ziggy, Jane's son, learn that Madeline Martha McKenzie is an active talker, and her daughter Chloe's musical taste is not even in the realm of possibility for a first grader. We also learn that Madeline Martha McKenzie has a weird dislike for women with careers, and that the over and under in this town is 150k. When we first meet Celeste, she's enjoying a personal moment while surrounded by the play violence of her sons. Perry, her douche lord husband, says, what did I say about shooting mommy before noon? There's much telegraphing happening here. Also, the song playing over Celeste's reverie is Charles Bradley's Victim of Love. It is not subtle. Coffee is had, poor Jane feels inadequate, and we're all back at Otter Bay for pickup. Chloe is networking, according to Madeline. We meet Bonnie, Madeline McKenzie's ex-husband's new wife, and their daughter Skye. This beautiful young hippie is signing petitions against having Avenue Q at the community theater, which makes no sense for a young hippie. More importantly, Amabella, the least likable child to ever roam the earth, has been choked by a classmate. The first grade teacher is a messy bitch living through this drama, and she literally says, could you point to the boy who hurt you? Which makes me wonder, is this a Puritan-style witch heart or a teasonal classroom? (laughs) Amabella points to Ziggy, the new kid, but he says he doesn't do it. Oh, and there are talking heads being interviewed by the police. And if you already know the ending to the show, none of this makes any sense. None of this interpersonal drama matters at all. The bitchiest of the talking heads is Harper, who says Jane is like a dirty old Prius parked outside of Barney's, which made me laugh. (laughs) At home with the rich white ladies, we learn a lot of things. Madeline Martha McKenzie is drawn to damaged people, according to her husband, who is insecure and feels like he's a consolation prize. Celeste and Perry can't keep their hands off each other, and everyone in town seems to know about it. People over 40 shouldn't be gushy. It's not cute, says a talking head, to which I can only agree. Over at Renata's hideous modern mansion, she says she's not liked because she has the termity of a career. Jane is outside her adorable shanty cottage yelling at her mom on the phone. She doesn't want to move back to whoever she came from, and her mom is confused why she moved to Monterey in the first place. 
Adel Abigail doesn't want to go to college, and apparently nobody in this family went to college, but they're all still really rich. It's nice to know that her mom, she's still nice to her mom in the middle of the night when she thinks she's a little bit wobbly and might be dying. It's still an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, I think the first thing we have to do here is jump right into the discussion of Madison, Madeline Martha McKenzie, who is sort of the heart of the show and all the turmoil seems to bubble around her. Um, so first of all, is she a nightmare? In her moments, she is a nightmare, but I think she redeems the nightmarish qualities by being a really extra good friend. Yeah, I don't think that she's a nightmare on purpose. I think she genuinely does have her heart in the right place, and if anything, I feel like she gets too emotional and too into, uh, she's she's just a meddler. She's like this... Another messy She's, bitch, for yeah, lack of a yeah, better word. Yeah, exactly. She is thriving on the drama because there's just not enough going on in her life right now. Like, one daughter is getting ready to go to college. And the other really daughter is, like, a 45-year-old already. Who's a curator. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she I, wants to be the head of a massive label, in her words, when she grows up, which, how she even knows what that means at six years old, I don't know. She refers to her mother as woman. Woman. Which at first I was like, is this the most precocious, awful thing? And then it sort of grew on me. Like, mm -hmm. I kind of want to start referring to my mom as woman. So, um, so Madeline insists on introducing herself to Jane Chapman as Mad Madeline Martha McKenzie, which clearly I can't pronounce. And... It makes me wonder if she's a serial killer, because those are the only other people who go by their middle names. Like, w what is with this? Or actors who had to use a middle name to get mm -hmm. for SAG, because their name already existed. Yeah. Um, that's or, the only other time I think of Michael people. Michael B. Jordan. Right. Um, <laughs> so, I, I think it, it's like a prestige thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I always think of, I know, like, my in my family, like... Having, for example, my father's name is Cedric Alvin Stonecipher Payne. And and his social security number is? <laughs> <laughs> right? Right, but I'm saying, like, I feel like it's, it's at some point there was this, like, trend to, like, use all these names for Middle prestige. names are the domain of rich people. Right, exactly. So I kind of think, like, to her, this was, this is her way of introducing herself and kind of having showing that she's powerful and that she has money and that she has a middle name prestige <laughs> well so it, it, this is a good question um so is does madeline totally fit in like she kind of seems like she didn't come from money to me and like she's trying to seem like she has it yeah she strikes me as a theater kid that's marauding as a rich woman well <laughs> for sure um i think like she she really climbed the the ranks to get into this realm and to be this person like she works really hard to uh and I think that's where some of her aggression is she wants people to mm -hmm. see her a certain way and to just be a certain way and she's like this I, I think that this is her her presenting herself that way is how she has curated this image like everything about her from the way she dresses mm -hmm. um you know those the those the heels yeah, her little fit and flares, the heels, and all of this. Um, I feel like she's playing Reese Witherspoon. I feel like Reese Witherspoon mm -hmm. kind of has that sort of thing going on in real life too. Where she's got this like very curated. I do think Instagram that friendly. Reese Witherspoon like dressed herself for this show. Oh, definitely, <laughs> yeah, it was her own stylist. Sure. Yeah, I, I think right I think a hundred percent. This is there is a lot of Reese Witherspoon within this character. 
Rebecca, you mentioned in some of your emails as we were talking about this episode, like, um, that Reese Witherspoon just looks like she's having a ton of fun yeah. in the show. Yeah. And I think she also must be absolutely exhausting as a scene yeah. partner. Like, she's got so much energy. At one point, another character refers to her as a ball of rage, and she's mm-hmm. just, Reese Witherspoon is a ball of energy, you can tell, and she's really just chewing up the scenery. She's having a great time. So, um, one of these talking heads, at some point, refers to the fall that starts off the show with uh, Reese Witherspoon slash Madeline Martha McKenzie. Um, Can I just call her Maddie so I don't, like, have a lisp for the entire show? Yeah. She trips, she falls, Jane comes to her rescue, their friendship is set off, and one of these talking heads says, if she didn't fall, then no one would be dead. That strikes me as supremely untrue. Yeah, and but how much do these talking heads know? Are they omniscient? Like, that was my thing with that comment. Yeah, like, right. Uh, well, I guess there is that scene where they're walking into the cafe later, and, like, Madeline is dramatically oh, yeah. limping, yeah. holding on to True. Jane. And that, so, so clearly she'd been all around town being like, I fell today, and Jane saved me. <laughs> like, I could see that happening. Fair. So I, I do think that this is the kind of town... I mean, we have to remember, like, this is a town where... They, you know, going to a community theater opening night, like, that's a veritable who's who of who's in the town. Like, everyone is there Mm -hmm. for community theater opening night. So, clearly, there is something very small town about Mm -hmm. Monterey or how the show is depicting Monterey. So, I do think that there is, to some extent, like, a pretty good amount of knowledge about what's going on. Um, But to that point, I don't think that this fall has anything to do with... Um, I, I guess the implication with that is that if these two hadn't met, all this drama wouldn't have happened. And it's to like set you up to think that Jane is like a yeah. big part of the drama. Right. Where I'm spoiler alert, like the the the, the crime that happens hasn't. If Jane had never even come to this town, that would have happened anyway. Yeah. It would, or it would have had. Maybe it happens a little later, but like. Mm-hmm. And Madeline and Jane still have kids in the same class at the same school, and Jane is still the new kid in town, which, you know, is Madeline's wheelhouse. She sees right. a new young person to mold, and it's like, yes, yeah, somebody to be, so, to be one of her I think the fall was just the dramatic staging kick. of yeah. this intro. It was their meet-cute for... Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, let's move on to another mother. Um, <laughs> we're going to go on to Boho Bonnie, who is... The not, best nickname for her, yeah. I like this, Boho Bonnie. Yes, played by uh, Zoe Kravitz, who is makes me feel bad about myself every time I see her. And really, because I just think like how much she looks like her mother. Yeah, oh, I heard Lisa, Lisa Bonet. Bonet. Yeah. Like, oh, like, Lisa Bonet was and is equally gorgeous, but mm-hmm. it's just crazy because sometimes when I'm watching this show, I yeah. literally am just like, oh, it's Denise Huxtable. You know, when <laughs> I, I get confused when I see. Lisa Bonet with Jason Momoa, and yes. uh, because it seems to me like Jason Momoa should be is more Zoe Kravitz's age, right? Right. Yeah, so I feel that's her. how hot Lisa Bonet yeah. is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that Lisa Bonet and Zoe Kravitz mm-hmm. they just look like sisters. Yeah. yeah, they really do. I mean, good for good for both of them. But anyway, back to Boho Bonnie. So Boho Bonnie isn't a big part of most of the season. Like she kind of comes and goes. She's not one of the main characters. She didn't make the promo for the show. Like the the poster for the show, but she's got huge parts to play that we mm-hmm. haven't gotten to yet. And, um, she is sort of m- one of Madeline's many nemesis. Is? Nem- nemesis. Nemesis. <laughs> um, and it's because she's married to Madeline's ex-husband. But as far as we're led to believe, this is a relationship that happened long after they split, whatever, but she really hates Bonnie. Is she being fair to Bonnie? 
I think in this episode, no. I think Bonnie comes off quite well, minus the whole confusing thing as to why she would ever sign a petition against Avenue Q, being this enlightened boho girl. It seems yeah. like Did Avenue she Q. say, though, that she signed it by, like, accident? Yeah, do I believe that? I, I don't know. I feel like... No, I think what she says is she didn't know... That Madeline was, was involved. involved. But so she would have Which also anyway. seems yeah. crazy because Madeline... This is, like, Madeline's alleged job is, like, working yeah. with this community theater, and everyone seems... Like, that seemed to be common knowledge mm-hmm. that she was... Involved in this, and um, Madeline spreads her business everywhere. So it's right, Madeline will talk to anyone who listens for sure. This. So I think that Madeline obviously is has like resentment towards Bonnie, just because of the situation that she's married to the ex husband. And I don't know what the time frame. It isn't ever really made clear what the time frame is with no. Bonnie and uh, Nathan getting together. But they have their children are the same age. They've got right. you know, both right. of them have young children that are the same age. So that So and their their kids so the the half sisters are in uh, first grade together. Because this wasn't messy enough already. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So like already I kinda I I feel for this situation because that does have to present to be mm-hmm. uh, awkward. Well Bonnie like I mean, if there was ever a woman I was going to be jealous of, it's going to be Bonnie. Yeah. Like I, you, like that's got to hurt. She is a nightmare in her own way. I think because she is just so crunchy and so earthy and like. Well, um, also she like is walking around town pretty much constantly in like a very skimpy tank top or mm-hmm. a sports bra, and she has this like banging body, mm-hmm. and you know she's the only person yeah. in the town with rhythm. Yeah. Right. Yes, as we will later see. I mean, it just, so, I mean, it, it just is this, uh, in a town where all these women are spending all this time and money to look their best, mm-hmm. she looks like she just doesn't give a shit and literally woke up, yes. rolled over, she picked something up, like up off the floor yeah. and she, like left the house. No exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, where in contrast, like Madeline, like, you know, she's like working out all the time. Like she's spending Contours on hair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's wearing these, these dresses dresses these shoes and she is she is trying her hardest like everyone else in that town and Bonnie literally looks like she just took something out of a laundry basket and managed to make it look so chic that I mean imagine what her Instagram would look like like it's just like plants she's probably not even on Instagram oh she's she's probably like too cool yeah I mean she just it it would be that infuriating like this person is just cooler than me without even trying so I think that that's where Madeline Mm -hmm. is coming from on this and to me, it doesn't make me. I don't dislike Bonnie. I I, I like her character a lot, uh, and I actually think that oftentimes, to me, she's sort of this like voice of reason and this calming. Yeah, I think presence. later in the series, like when we start seeing her more not in conjunction with Madeline, mm-hmm. we start to see her just kind of like rolling her eyes at her husband and like being a normal person. And you're like, oh, I, w- I kind of want to hang out with. Well, that brings me to the point of, like, her relationship with Nathan is confusing to me because Mm -hmm. Nathan, uh, he's, like, a dick. You know, like, he's just kind of this, like, bro dude. Like, he works, he's a landscaper, right? Which which brings me to the question, how how do the yoga teacher and the landscaper live in Well, so here's, I mean, yeah, but, like, her yoga, this is a town where people are going to love going to yoga, and this is a town where people are going to pay a lot of money to have their, like, gardens look you know, Mm -hmm. great, and and so, and I can understand sort of how those two people with those interests could be together, but there is just something that doesn't seem to fit with them, but also I can't picture him being with Madeline either. I can understand why he would want to be with Bonnie, but for the life of me, I can't understand why Bonnie would want to be with Nathan. That's kind of where I'm, like... Nathan is like a complete antithesis of everything Bonnie's about. Yeah, yeah, he just does not seem to 
be the kind of person she would have been drawn to. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. He seems like a man's man who wants to, like... Well, much later we see him, him eating, like, a bowl of cocoa puffs, and she's just so grossed out by him. Right. <laughs> she's like, well, I'm going to get my wheat germ and my quinoa, <laughs> and why are you eating that? Um, all right, so let's move on to fucking Renata, played by Laura Dern to perfection. Um, we're, we're just going to keep going with this theme. Is Renata a nightmare? No, uh, I, well. there's something about Renata that, that I love. She is just that total boss bitch that I, I she's the HBIC for sure. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, you know what I love about her is she does have a career. Mm-hmm. She, and, and that's important, as equally important to her as her family is. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I love that about her, that she mm-hmm. does have this kind of like, I have my own career, I do my thing, I'm a woman, hear me roar. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I appreciate that about Renata. Um, I think what makes Renata the worst, though, is how, like, the way that she deals with things with her daughter. Yeah. The, the fact that her mm-hmm. daughter is wearing a Burberry dress yeah. to the first day <laughs> of first grade was somehow disgusting to yeah. me. Like, do you really, you needed to dress your daughter in, like, what is probably a $300 dress to the first day of that first she's grade. she's going to be grown out of in... Two, a hot second. Yeah, like And also is going to, like, run around on a playground, like... Renata's a CEO. She doesn't care. She doesn't yeah. care. She probably doesn't even buy the Burberry. She has an assistant to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, there, it's just, and it's just how her whole, and she named her kid Amabella. That's a big concern to me. Where she's, like, a whole problem in yeah. and of herself. Um... So the, you mentioned the career, and there's a part where she says, you know, I'm not liked because I have the temerity of a career. And I'm just like, girl, I mean, this was maybe a couple years ago this show came out, and I was like, everybody's got a career. What is happening in this town that everybody's still hating on working moms? Does that, like, ring true to you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always been tension between the stay-at-home moms and the working moms because everyone thinks they're doing it the right way and the other one's doing it wrong and mm. the, you know, the stay-at-home mom has no life outside of her children and the stay-at-home mom looks at the career and says, do you even spend time with your children? Mm. So I think there's an inherent disconnect between the two worldviews at play here. Uh, I don't think either one is right or wrong and I think Renata is a very powerful boss bitch mm-hmm. and except that the bitch part of it really leads. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't lead with the boss, she leads with the bitch. She leads with the anxiety. She yeah. is just like a Ooh. ball of nerves that makes me uncomfortable. Everybody this on this show needs a therapist, but Renata is up there if you're triaging. <laughs> um, so we have to talk about Amabella oh. if we're talking about Renata. And she is unfortunately under attack at the first day of first grade. Not even the first day, it's orientation, technically. <laughs> Um, and I have little to no sympathy for this poor little girl who has just been choked by a classmate. Am I a monster or is this intentional? Uh, no. Okay. So first of all, the teacher is a monster. The teacher is a monster. The teacher, the way she deals with this, uh, is just totally unacceptable. Um, that is not how you confront Child, like children of that. It was age. a public shaming. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. Was all, all they needed was some tar and feathers yeah. for poor little Ziggy, and that that would have. But this, so I think that Amabella is just a wimp of a kid mm-hmm. who has this like very overpowering mother who like 
that that kid just doesn't probably even need to speak at home. Like she's just given right. everything that she needs and mm-hmm. is probably encouraged actually to be quiet at home. I feel like Renata's like, no, 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 mommy just needs quiet time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think that, and, and the, the little actress they hired to play Amabella, she is, they, they could not have found a more scared looking kitten. Yeah. You know, she just is this, like, wide-eyed, like, she's adorable in every, like, textbook case of adorable mm-hmm. little blonde girl, but she is just, like, this, like, wide-eyed, very, like... She's got um, pathetic down real well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost, like, vacant stare sometimes where you can't even uh, read what her real emotion is, which kind of makes it creepy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think horror she, movies have conditioned us to be afraid of children. Well, I was going to say, if yeah. I was casting a horror movie, this She'd kid would be, like, top choice for me because she literally could either have a demon in her yeah. or have just seen a demon. Like, there are so mm-hmm. many things going on there. <laughs> so to that, to that effect, I think this child is a great little actress. I don't think she is a... I, I don't think she's a nightmare. I think, like, they the way that this is portrayed just makes it... Uh, I, and again, all of this is kind of all this, like, setup, this, like, build-up, where it... Does any of this matter? Right. Um, and our, our allegiance is supposed to be with Ziggy at this point. So when she accuses him, you're like, wait a minute. No, poor Ziggy's the new kid. Leave him alone. Well, and it's also funny that they're dealing with this, like, bullying issue in this mm-hmm. town where these adults are fucking bullying each other. Yeah. Aggressively, That's passive true. aggressively. At uh, some point, they're in the principal's office, and there's a no bully zone sign in the background. That's just hilarious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So Celeste. Celeste, Celeste, played by Nicole Kidman. Um. I just don't even know what we're supposed to make of Celeste. She's so quiet, and she says so little. It. I. It. It's like she's... She's like a husk of a woman. Yeah. So I think, and in rewatching to prep for this, I see, mm-hmm. like, Celeste as this character who, like, really grows mm-hmm. uh, in, in a lot of ways. Like, she has this, like, turning point. Like, you can kind of see where she is, like, taking back mm-hmm. herself mm-hmm. and trying to take control of her life. And I do see that. But in these early episodes, mm-hmm. uh, I was appalled at yeah. her as a as a human and as a character. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting because she is just this, like, very meek, mm-hmm. just totally... She, just, she's so ugh. quiet, and I don't know if we know yet in this And how is she that, friends with Madeline when she's that much of a washed-up pushover? Well, I, I <laughs> honestly think her friendship with Madeline is, like, the second abusive relationship in her life. Oh, she's yeah. just, like... Strong. Because point. there are times where she's just, like, kind of rolling her eyes in the background, but she keeps hanging out with her, you know? Like, she's not... She's not standing, she's not being like, hey, Madeline, could you chill out and not start a fight among all the parents today? Yeah. Like, I she think never... she's letting Madeline have, you know, the personality that she right. doesn't feel comfortable having in public because she's mm-hmm. in such a toxic, abusive relationship with Perry. With right, but Perry. you see, I like, skipping ahead, Celeste is a character who you do see this, like, moment, like, when she, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in the mayor's office, like, yeah. gives her speech, when she, speech, when her, she reclaims, when her, she legal, reclaims yeah. her her job, her professional life, mm-hmm. and you see that she is she who she might have been mm-hmm. before Perry. Yeah, things start to like make a little se- a little bit more sense. I think her. the first episode sets it up for you to kind of be like, who is this bland woman? But once you've seen the whole season, like mm-hmm. I think Nicole Kidman is delivering battered woman so perfectly. I think this, this is like, the best drawn. thing I've ever seen Nicole Kidman. Yeah, do I agree. As an I was thinking that the entire time. I was like, she is killing it. In yeah, this. yeah. 
with the exception of their, you know, it's funny because I think Nicole Kidman has always done a really great job of hiding her accent while mm-hmm. acting. Yeah. But in this show, there are several times yeah, where she slips up. She slips time. up, and I think it's because she delivers this like such a raw performance, especially that, the therapy scene. She yes, says, you she, hear the you hear it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and when she's yelling. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. and up. I think that that is that there is so much raw quality. I think like to me, she is. I think all of these women are sort of not only it's ironic because I think they are clawing to kind of be the best actress in this show, mm-hmm. and I think Nicole Kidman is sort of like the sleeper hit yeah, on she's this. Like, no like, big she, deal. I can follow. Yeah, no yeah. big deal. Like this is this is I'm just gonna turn in a performance. Well, that she's is easily the biggest truly, star too. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you know Reese Witherspoon really hasn't been on the scene much since uh, Walk the Line. I think that was last year. Right, but really so they're both movie. Oscar winners, yeah. Nicole Kidman yeah. and uh, Reese Witherspoon. So if you are looking at like two Oscar winners go head to head, I think Nicole Kidman just like slays yeah. her in this, mm-hmm. yeah. for sure, and is given in some ways uh, the much more interesting character to like build with oh, yeah. and 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 work with. So Celeste is married to Perry, played oh. by one the hot Skarsgård uh, vampire Eric, as I like to call him from True Blood, um, and he's. He is a nightmare. We don't have to ask. He is a douche lord. In Monster. Words, he yeah. He's not even hot to me no. after this show. No. Like, I would have so much trouble ever separating him from this character, which I guess is a great testament to him, but he is just so deplorable. <laughs> yeah. And so we see him, like, in one of his first sort of foreshadowing fits of rage where he's angry that... They ju- they're just dropping the kids off at, on the first day of school, which is really the second day of school because they had orientation. And she's kind of like, no, yesterday was orientation. That's when we walk everybody in. And it's like, is this guy so stupid? He couldn't figure out what orientation was for? He What did he think was happening And then he today? loses his yeah. mind over it. He, he thought he would ask him to pick one of his children to throw into the flames. He is so angry about this. He is a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I almost think there are moments in this where he's overselling how awful this guy is. Like, it, yeah. it's just like, who could stay with somebody like this? It, and I think that's where I get a little... Almost as like a really crazy, creepy, cartoonish yeah. version mm-hmm. of an abusive husband. I get that. But uh, it, it, it's just... You know what it is to me? It's it's the this, like, look he gets in his eyes of, like, mm-hmm. a sullen child. Yep. Yes. Who's, like, all, like, sulky. Like, man, I wanted this. Like, yeah. I thought it was... I and thought we were doing this today. Hit you yeah, yeah. I mean, he is just... And, that, and here he is with Celeste, who's, like, the most elegant, serene. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know how they met. Like, how did this even get off the ground? Mm-hmm. And he calls her Sparkles. Oh, oh God. I didn't notice that until we were... I was oh. re-watching for this, and... I was disgusted. I, I don't know how I missed that the first time around. I was it's, like, Sparkles. It's like, why did you give her a stripper name? Like, what is... Ha- yeah. I mean, I get the whole demeaning thing, but like, Sparkles? Yeah. Come on. It was That's so gross. No. He's the worst. I don't... I mean, there's literally... You could just opine for seven whole episodes about yeah. how miserable Perry is. Yeah. Do we want to talk about any of the foreshadowing of his shittiness? Like, uh... The cues aren't subtle. I mean, no. I mean, they... Yeah, they didn't give... They didn't give a shit about revealing that he is just going to be the shit hole of the show yeah Uh, literally i mean the the kids are engaged in this like pretty violent nerf gun battle and he's literally talking about shooting their mother and he's he plays this character of the monster where he pretends to eat his children and eat celeste in a way there's a beautiful shot in the first episode where he's coming up from celeste Mm -hmm. from behind and it tracks and you watch him and it looks like a 
panther stalking its prey. It's like a home mm-hmm. invader or something. It's and nasty. He, there's a scene where he's reading this book to kids where it's clearly about like someone dying and they're six years old and yeah. you're like, what book is this that he's reading to them? It looks terrifying. <laughs> um, so then there's Jane. Janie's got a gun. Um, <laughs> so she's a single mother who, with a part-time job who just moved to one of the most expensive communities in the country. Does this make any sense? No. <laughs> it does not. And her mother is very confused, too. Her yeah. poor mother calls her in the beginning. It's like, so what are you doing in Monterey again? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really know why. I mean, obviously, Jane needed to get a fresh start. Why that had to be in Monterey, California, I don't yeah. know. We don't really get a sense of where she's come from. Mm-hmm. We, we don't really ever get that backstory as far as I remember. So, I, like, kept thinking about that. And in this rewatch, I, like, reasoned that maybe... So, you see in these, like, flashbacks where she's, like, running on a beach and you learn that, like, her mm-hmm. the whole... Uh, her that when she was raped, it was, like, at this, like, beachside hotel and everything. So I kind of, like, came to the conclusion of maybe she wanted to be, like, in the area of maybe she, like, moved into mm-hmm. that area thinking she'd get resolution and find out what happened to her. That's so do we think the rape happened in Monterey, in a beach hotel in Monterey? I don't know if it was in Monterey, but, like, near there. I kind of got this, that to me was where I well, thought, I well, maybe. Well, I she's from that far away. I no. think she's just from, like, you know, I don't know exactly where, but, like, no, like, <laughs> Oakland or something. Yeah. You know, some, some more middle class Bay Area. Right, kind of exactly. Is. So I think that maybe she moved into this area thinking like oh I'll get she tells Ziggy like oh you know the schools are really good you're gonna have a better life but I think that for her there might have been this like chance of well I think this is like where this happened or where this this person may be from and maybe I'll get like answers Mm -hmm. I do think that there was maybe some sort of motive like that uh for her that could also explain why she still seems so scared Mm-hmm. Like, she's recently moved to the area where this happened, and she's having constant nightmares about people trying to break in. Right. Clearly so that's why I thought, like, maybe she, should she not thinks have a gun. she's... No. No, no. She's the last person that should be toting a gun. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. But I, I think that gun is sort of, uh, like, a, again, like a red... It's the red, red herring. Red yeah. gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the red herring for this for a lot of situations here where, like, you know, you it puts makes Jane a more... Um, she's kind of like this, like, suspect, like the heavy suspect, I think. Yeah. Like, she's sort of being, like, framed here early on for the viewers. Like, and the gun it, makes an appearance almost every episode, whether it's in dreams yeah. or in actuality. Mm-hmm. And this gun is Well, it's in the so, credits, yeah, too. It's associated yeah. very strongly with exactly. Jane's identity. And Which she is, says, I mean, she explains at one point that carrying the gun has been, like, mentally liberating for her, and Madeline's mm-hmm. like, that doesn't really Yeah, attract. and then, spoiler <laughs> alert, no gun is used yeah. in the killing <laughs> in the killing of so the... I wonder if this gun will reappear yeah. in season two. I'm sure I they feel like the gun is a character that has yet to uh, reveal itself. Yeah. <laughs> so she's also sort of a foil to everyone else in town, right? Yes. She's one of the few people with dark hair, you know, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman... Uh, Laura Dern, all blonde. Um, Zoe Kravitz has dark hair, but she's not nearly as big a part of this show. And she's always kind of... So Jane is always kind of a mess, right? Her hair is never quite done. She's dressed like I dressed in, like, high school. Yeah, she dresses like a teenager and and doesn't have any regard for that. Like, you'd think that she would... I kind of respect that about her character. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm not going to even try to fit in here. I'm going to wear my Converse sneakers Mm -hmm. and, like... 
I think the styling is really intentional too because Shailene Woodley's already an actress that looks pretty young and mm -hmm. I think to like really dress her as a sloppy teenager I mean there are scenes where she looks younger than Abigail the asshole daughter well and even in this in this first episode when they meet when she she's taking her kid to school or picking him up mm -hmm. in that first episode uh, Renata comes up and is like oh this is my nanny yeah. she's yeah, friends right. like all the nannies should be friends and uh, Madeline is like no she's a mom young like you used to be yeah, yeah <laughs> throwing amazing shade while also <laughs> Uh, setting the story straight there. But uh, I think that that is an interesting that she is this character who does not at all fit this mom mold and is not even trying. And what's interesting, so she says to Celeste and Madeline at some point, like, you guys are exactly right, and for some reason that makes me feel wrong. And it's sort of a testament to how good a facade these two messy women are, like, putting up. Like, their lives are a disaster, and this woman who's arguably got the best relationship with her kid and like mm -hmm. he's definitely the best parent yeah I mean, she parents far better than anybody else in the show mm -hmm. right I mean I think Jane in some ways is also our entry point into the show because we've got you know most people in America cannot relate to the lifestyle of these super right. rich and I think Jane kind of occupies that every man trope that allows us to gain access into this world that otherwise we would all kind of be looking at at arm's length and I think that that role is was pretty significant for her to play so one of the sort of themes with this show that I'm interested in is like the idea of prestige TV for women. Mm. Like we're so used to Tony Soprano and Walter White and these anti-heroes that we shouldn't be rooting for, but we do. Um, but they're never women. And this is maybe the first show I've seen like that that I can remember. Man, that's, that's a great point that I've never thought of. Yeah. Just a second. Yeah, I, uh, I I can't really think of another show where there are, and I think that that was what drew Reese Witherspoon into mm -hmm. producing this and everything is creating more uh, more shows that have this. I mean, especially this this came out among like a ha you know the peak of like hashtag Me Too and mm -hmm. uh, m this much more uh, feminist aware c culture that we're now in, and uh, I. I, now I'm trying to think what other shows have this much. Yeah, I mean, I can think of comedies. Yeah, I can mm -hmm. think of like trash TV. Yeah. Plenty, oh, well, for sure. I can't think of anything that's on this prestige HBO level. Right. That's not a miniseries or something that's a one-off, which I think, you know, this was originally intended to be, and I think the success of it propelled mm -hmm. this into, okay, we can get more out of this. Right. Um, but I, I, I think that it is... Uh, I think it's something that 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 people just wouldn't weren't really sure that we're into watching, right? right like right. if you're Reese Witherspoon and you're going into HBO and pitching a show like this, where you're like, oh, it's gonna be set in these like beautiful homes and like these people are gonna have like not real problems but kind of <laughs> some real problems. Like, how do you pitch a show like this and then say like, but yeah, everyone in America, like women, will relate to this and watch it and yeah. men. And men, yeah, I'm sure there are a ton of men that, that watch this. But uh, whereas, it, you know, it's not a show that has as much to, and that was something that, like, they argued early on about, like, Sopranos, like, people not wanting to watch that because you're having, like, a monster is your main character. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a mob lifestyle, how relatable is that? But it did, you, you saw a lot of yourself and your family in a show like that, and you see that here, too. Mm -hmm. So, but I just think it is interesting that it did kind of take, it took a long time and I bet it was an uphill battle to get like a show like this produced 
because of the because of the characters and the setting and 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 everything. But it at the end of the day, a lot of these problems, like if you have children or you know, or just like relationship struggles and mm-hmm. friendship and dynamics, it essentially is relatable, which is yeah. the crazy thing. It is, and you see like the relationship dynamics, especially in the marriages. I think are relatable there's something for everybody in this there's like the sort of malaise of madeline and ed where they're just maybe not quite yeah ed's boring so (sighs) we'll wait until we absolutely have to talk about ed um (laughs) but like you know there's plenty of people who can relate to that like we've been married for a long time and now we're just like not that into each other kind of boredom um and then the character of of jane like somebody who mm -hmm. is single and is in a situation where it would be very hard for her to date. I mean, this is, I, Monterey does not strike me as a community where she's going to find a lot of single men. No. No. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's this relatable quality to her loneliness Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, she's making friends and she has these like, you know, she's great creating this great little group of women friends, but like she has needs that are going to need to be fulfilled, but she also comes with all this baggage and, Mm -hmm. and, underlying their like hatred issues towards men that I'm sure she's feeling there. I think that's a great theme that you've touched on too, this idea that female friendship replaces this need for like a fulfilling sexual mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. with somebody. Like they rely on each other and that fills that emotional void that the spouses across the board, none of these spouses, the men, are offering any sort of emotional support to these women. In fact, some of them are just straight up abusers. But yet yeah. as <laughs> close as these women are, they aren't revealing their own secrets right. to yes. each other. Yes. I mean it, you you see some things come out as they as they go, but it takes a long time for them to come around and kind of talk about things. It's like they're all still dating, but they haven't actually got down to the right. potatoes of their relationship yet. Yeah, yeah, and and as much as they're as still trying to hide Celeste their crazy. and Madeline are, <laughs> Celeste like she does not come forward to she no. lets Madeline think that she has this amazing sex life mm-hmm. where she's like you know having sex on kitchen counters with her husband, and she is it's and, just like right. A Proceeds yeah. yeah, so I mean, there is this kind of sense of that, uh, and and I think that that's part of what makes these women so th- there's like something off about them that is unrelatable. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I, I I feel like if I most of these problems they are having, I want to be talking to somebody. Yeah. I, well, so much of it is surface level, mm-hmm. right? Like Celeste and Madeline are arguably the closest and have been friends the longest and they don't seem to know that much about each other's marriages or um, just in general. Like even when they, much later in the season, they talk about both sort of being unfulfilled as stay-at-home moms. Well, until this point, they've just been like sort of masking that in hatred for the w- women who do work. And so, like, they clearly haven't ever, like, just sat down and talked about this. Like, oh, I miss having a career kind of thing. Yeah. Which is They're still trying to keep up appearances. Earth-shaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this whole skeletons in the closet thing is quite literally true in this show. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. For sure. <laughs> uh, so, this show's got a lot of one-liners that are fantastic. And so, we're going to try and pick a favorite quote from each show to um, bring to you. We'll start off with mine, um, when the asshole daughter Abigail says to Madeline, are you having one of your massive periods? And I just, <laughs> I laughed out loud so hard because everybody's had a mom who's like, just like <laughs> losing it because she's having a real bad PMS month. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my favorite quote was uh, one of the talking heads, as you called them, said of Madeline that she wanted she grew up wanting to be Betty Grable and ended up being Betty Crocker. Ooh. Oh, devastating. Right. Oh. <laughs> devastating. Yeah, and and I I just think it is so. I think that like is the quote that sums up the character of Madeline mm-hmm. so well. Like what we touched upon that she was just like theater kid you could totally see like she grew up thinking she would maybe go to Hollywood and get a whole show and live this great life and now she bakes cupcakes and mm-hmm. fights at the PTA meetings and stuff so I, I just that to me was, was excellent brilliant so my favorite there's a whole bunch of great one-liners in this but Abigail and Madeline are having a conversation about Bonnie and Madeline refers to her as the step thing and then follows it up by saying that she looks like she gives mint flavored organic blowjobs <laughs> and I love that I live for that line oh that was a good one um, alright so we've got some rapid fire questions to wrap this episode up um, which kid is the creepiest I mean it's, it's Amabella so, for this one, I say Ziggy, and only because he's set up with that flashback scene where Jane, like, wakes up and, and he's standing, standing there. And he's standing over the bed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I have to agree. It's always Amabella. She is creeping me out. Who is the worst person in this episode? I mean, we're going to try and say Perry every episode, because right. Perry is just I feel like you need to disqualify yep. Perry at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Renata, maybe? Um, okay, so for me, it's the toss-up. It's the teacher. Oh, the teacher. She's, Forget it. The or uh, that Harper woman yeah. who's like, I'm one of Renata's best friends, and then calls Jane the dirty old Prius parked outside of Barney's. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, I went with the teacher as well. I mean, she is yeah, just like, who, it, like, ha- you're just noticing that this kid was choked. Like, somehow the kids got out of your sight on the first day enough to choke each other. There's only, like, 15 kids in the class. It's not like she's got a class of 30. No, and then she's gonna go and... The way she handled it. It's a mess. It's a mess. Um, Who's the best person in this episode? Chloe. (laughs) Her, like, sass in the opening scene is is just, you know, they're driving in the car, and I I just, like, felt that, like, bought me all in with this show, because... Mm -hmm. Uh, she is just such a product of this, like, world of privilege where these adults have created these kids that have so much that are so, uh, adult-like. And because mm-hmm. they just have this, like, wealth of knowledge and these kids are, like, cooler than I'll ever be, mm-hmm. let alone even striving to be, like, these parents. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, I'm gonna go with Jane just because it's our first introduction to her and she's such mm-hmm. a cold shower compared to all these crazy women that you know you need her like you really feel like you lean on Jane's morality in this show so I'm gonna go with Jane I I so I agree with Jane uh I just thought like um well one she's the most relatable because she's you know not going to orientation at the elementary school in six inch heels um but she's it's also like she's the one with real problems other than Celeste in the show and she's the only one who's got her act together like yeah. she's like everybody else is like all over the place um so the music in this show is its own character it's yeah own it's a role in and of itself so what's the best song from this episode I'm going to go with Call On Me when uh, Ed and Madeline are fighting on the beach and Chloe plays it 
raises the speakers because she's just too precocious for words and seems to also be very astute and emotionally aware and seems to sense when there's how does she know about all this music she's a very wise child Um, for this one I'm going to go with Cold Little Heart which is actually this theme song by Michael Kiwanuka Kiwanuka yeah Um, amazing I just think like it's such a good hook for the show and I think in this like first episode if you were watching the show for the first time like that theme came on and you know that I mean it's just like that kind of like opened the door to this great soundtrack. It sets the scene so well. It has this like haunting quality. So for me, that would be the pick here. It also has a very California quality. So oh right? yeah, I mean it just fits those like sweeping ocean views. You perfectly. go back to like the OC that like that. Oh, oh my gosh! So yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> it has that same sort of like laid back breezy thing with also that much darker undertone. I think sonically, like the choices that were made on the show across the board, sometimes are obviously a little on the nose, like. Mm-hmm. You know, the Frank Ocean song. I was like, well, right. come on, guys. Yeah. But for the most part, I think the way they handle music in this show is fantastic. And it could be its own podcast in and of itself. Yeah. My uh, my choice was Bloody Motherfucking Asshole by Martha Wainwright, because it's <laughs> one of my favorite songs to, like, blast in the shower and have horrified elderly relatives with it <laughs> on more than one occasion. I'm going to use that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really nice. Um. So, who do you think this episode is trying to convince us is dead? I always find this is the hardest question to answer because there it waffles so much. That's the great the thing. Like, yeah. each episode, like, I can remember when watching it first, like, what, and that's what I tried to think back to and when yeah. watching it. And I would also see, like, who they're really, like, setting you up for. So, for with this episode, I actually thought it was going to be, like, Bonnie or Nathan. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I keep going, I always go back to Celeste because there's such violent overturns mm-hmm. in her life and Perry is obviously such a monster and that's been, you know, telegraphed pretty heavily from the jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tend to always gravitate towards Celeste when it's a little bit less clear because she seems the most damaged and the most likely to be killed at this mm-hmm. point just based on the violence surrounding her. But I think Jane is also, there's a candidate for Jane because, I mean, she's got this gun and we don't know why she's got this gun. Is somebody after her mm-hmm. at this point? So I think that Jane is also a pretty good candidate for both being killed and being a killer this week. I'm I'm going to go with Madeline because I think that's who the talking heads in this episode are sort of setting us Implying, up to yeah. think. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they imply that, or they say, if Madeline hadn't made that fall, no one would be dead, and which doesn't make any sense. And <laughs> But so it makes you think like, oh, this is all revolving around mm-hmm. Madeline somehow. Which brings us to my next question, question which is, who do you think the episode is trying to convince us is the killer? So for this, I said Jane because of that. If she hadn't mm-hmm. fallen, yeah. none of this would have mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. So I assumed that it had something to do with the Madeline and Jane coming together. And that's why, and then because I was suspecting that something is going to happen to Bonnie or Nathan because of Madeline's animosity, I assumed that, like, Jane, she has a gun. She met up with Madeline. Like, the two are in cahoots. The two are in cahoots. So my, I, I felt like this episode was making me finger Jane as a <laughs> killer. Not the... <laughs> I mean, Jane's Jane, Jane can get it. Yeah, I yeah. mean... <laughs> uh, who do you think? I think it was Jane. I mean, the, yeah. the gun was... That was the moment, watching it the first time, I'm like, oh, this cool girl is going to be the one that brings all these rich bitches down. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, I think I'm going with Renata, just because I think... Again, the episode is setting up Madeline in opposition to Renata so much that... Uh, mm, yeah. The, uh, so the so the uh, other unspoken character in this show is the real estate and oh, sweeping yes. ocean <laughs> views and mountain views. 
So what is the most enviable property of this episode? So I don't really love at all the interior of Madeline's house, but I think her view with the beach behind it and the fact that she and Ed have their little domestics on the beach is pretty enviable. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to fight with my boyfriend on the beach if I'm going to fight. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to fight, have a good view. Um, I said Renata's patio at sunset. Oh. That scene, she's like drinking wine, yes. talking to her husband in the sunset. And, uh, that that would be my like dream mm-hmm. setting of, of a home is like having this like ocean view sunset to just drink wine with. I would like that husband to not be in the scenario, but... <laughs> Gordon. We haven't even Gordon, talked about yeah. Gordon. We'll get into Gordon later. I would murder Celeste and Perry for their house. That view to me... Like, start with Perry. Yes, I'm going to start them. with Perry because yeah. Celeste might like let me live in the basement or something, but... Um, She'd probably just live in the basement quietly. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could like bully her out of her house. Yeah. Um, her... I, the ocean view is gorgeous, but it's also got, like, these gnarly trees that come True. up out of the way. And, it, like, it's a little more interesting to me than just the um, than just the ocean views. And they're, pa- and they're, like, way up removed from the ocean. So mm-hmm. they've got, like, this, like, I'm imagining if you stand at the edge, you probably have, like, all sorts of rocks spilling out from under it. Perfect. 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 Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. 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 If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual violence, you can get help 24 hours a day by calling 1-800-656-HOPE. 